Hello and welcome to the weekend wrap for the week on Wednesday. I am your host Ben Davison and it is Sunday the 19th of February in the year 2023 and I hope wherever you are around Australia and indeed anywhere around the world you are enjoying or have enjoyed a wonderful wonderful weekend. Of course it is the end of the first two weeks of the Australian parliamentary sitting for 2023 and there is a lot to cover. We will talk about insiders, we will talk about what's going on with the New South Wales state election and some of the shenanigans there as well as some of the very valid claims of workers through Unions New South Wales and of course the Yes to the voice campaign launches that are starting to happen all around the country. But first, let's look at some of the things that have happened in the first two weeks of the parliamentary sitting. Of course, if you go back a couple of weeks, you will be able to hear all about the defection of Lydia Thorpe from the Greens to her own uh, movement. <laughs> she calls it a movement, so we'll go with that for now. Uh, you know, leader of a movement in a big empty hall. What do you call that? A person standing there by themselves. Nonetheless, Lydia Thorpe left the Greens in the very first day of the parliamentary sitting. Of course, Lydia Thorpe was not the only person to quit their party. Alan Tudge, who regular listeners to the week on Wednesday will remember as someone we have been highly critical of in the past former minister responsible for robo-debt and former education minister, who, while having an affair with a member of his staff, told the teachers of our great nation that they should be lecturing students about morals and social mores. This seemed so outrageous from Alan Tudge, and yet he seemed to have absolutely no sense of his own shame. Well, Alan Tudge has finally quit Parliament, citing the pressure and toll it has taken on him and his family. Alan, 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 Alan. The pressure and toll on your family has been caused almost entirely and exclusively by yourself. Now, Alan Tudge's retirement has opened the door for our good friend uh, and former colleague of mine, Mary Doyle. Uh, to stand for Labor in the seat of Aston. Mary, of course, ran for Labor at the last federal election when Alan Tudge really should have quit then. But, of course, he held on because he, like you now, dear listener, knows that government has not won a seat at a by-election from the opposition in almost 100 years. And, of course, Alan Tudge was counting on that fact when he ran to hold the seat at the election. Now, Mary Doyle did get a 10-point swing towards Labor at the general election and, of course, is a local. Mary Doyle grew up in social housing just like Albo, has worked in call centres, has raised her children, lovely children, in the area is from there, lives there, works there, is a mortgage holder, understands the trials and tribulations that people in the outer suburbs of Melbourne do have to go through each and every day, whether it's commuting into town for work, whether it's the constant pressure on the mortgage or just the general cost of living. I can tell you from personal experience, Mary Doyle knows what it takes and will be a strong and passionate voice for her community. Having worked with Mary 
I can speak from firsthand experience that Mary Doyle is no shrinking violet and she speaks passionately about the issues that are important to her. Of course, during this parliamentary sitting, Labor has moved a number of bills. So much happened. I'm not going to be able to cover it all because there's actually some really interesting news from the last day or two that I want to cover off as well. But I will cover some highlights, which I think are worth mentioning. Uh, not only is Mary Doyle uh, someone who grew up in public housing and, of course, a died-in-the-wool trade unionist, you too should be a union member. Go to australianunions.org.au slash wow to join your union. Mary understands how much pressure there is on housing and the Labor government has introduced the Housing Australia Fund, which will build 30,000 social houses in the next five years. Of course, the Dutton Coalition, the Dutton Rump, if you like, has already expressed that it will oppose this. The Greens themselves, uh, unsurprising to those who pay attention to what happens at local government when Greens hold the power over planning, where they regularly stop social and affordable housing from being built. The Greens have also uh, been critical of the Housing Australia Fund and, in fact, did not turn up to the vote in the lower house. Uh, there are pictures of the big gap where the Greens, most of whom are from Brisbane, simply did not turn up to the lower house vote. What they'll do in the Senate remains to be seen. They should, of course, vote for it. Uh, the Housing Australia Fund is a good start in addressing some of the housing shortages and crises. Adam Bant has a different view, and we'll get into Adam Bant's appearance on Insiders today because it feeds into the issue around the Housing Australia Fund and their particular policy, which is in contrast to Labor's of building more supply. Labor also brought in legislation to improve gender pay gap reporting. So now companies with 100 staff or more will have to report their gender pay gap. This is a big step in the right direction. We know the gender pay gap has not been closing and that there are many systemic reasons for this. A lack of transparency is one. Of course, people will remember the Secure Jobs Better Pay legislation got rid of bans on workers being able to discuss their pay. Part of that was designed to ensure that women were not being paid less and unable to talk about it in the workplace. Of course, we know that's one of the many things that needs to happen. This transparency will help raise the level of understanding in the general community and also hopefully give workers who do unionise, who do collectively come together in solidarity in their workplace and across workplaces to say it's not acceptable to pay women less than men in the workplace. And of course, the National Reconstruction Fund. This is a $15 billion fund to support local manufacturing. Now, there was some controversy about this in the boss's pamphlet, the Australian Financial Review, uh, as it's called in the mainstream media. I like to call it the boss's pamphlet because it does spout consistently the boss's line. The IFR has a problem with the Australian Council of Trade Unions suggesting that the National Reconstruction Fund 
should have a board that is tripartite. Now, for those of you who aren't familiar with that term, I can't imagine there's many listening to this show who don't know it, but if you're not familiar with it, it means that the board is made up of representatives from workers elected through their unions, from employers, usually from peak bodies, and from government. Tripartiteism is something that is ingrained in social democracy in places like Norway, Germany, and other parts of Europe, and for a long time in the 80s and 90s in Australia, was the fundamental basis for more cooperative forms of economic development. When you look at industry superannuation in this country, you have what's called the equal representation model, where you have employers and employee representatives, and with the occasional independent thrown into the mix, just to add that little bit of spicy flavour. But the AFR, of course, supports the quote-unquote independent director model. Now, anyone who's ever looked at the boards of a company and seen the long list of conflicting interests that independent directors will often hold, it's hard to really understand why we persist with such misleading language. These are professional directors not independent directors, and I have nothing against people having a profession and doing their work. I myself am on a number of boards. What I have a problem with is the ideological belief that a board made up of purely professional directors is somehow intrinsically better than a board that has representation from those whose interests are entwined with the success of the organisation. In fact, tripartite models and the equal representation model have consistently outperformed many professional director-based boards. All you need to do is look at the performance of super over the long term and, in fact, medium and short terms as well to see how well equal representation works. And, of course, one need only look at the economic powerhouses that are Germany and Norway to see how effective tripartite models are in delivering good, sustainable, equitable economic outcomes. Now, I hope Ed Husick, who is a minister, as I understand it, will be partly responsible for this fund, does take into account and listen to all the arguments. Because frankly, I think the ACTU has a very good case here. We know that when manufacturing is done in a tripartite way, it is much, much more successful. And that is the model of success that is occurring all around the world. Simply allowing corporate capitalist professional directors to determine where the flow of taxpayer investment should go is quite frankly likely to see it go to the same place as it usually goes when those people make those decisions. And that's not necessarily going to be in the best interests of our country. So watch this space. And of course, if you want to have a say on how unions operate, you need to be a member of a union. You can join at australianunions.org.au slash wow, that's W-O-W. And it's an exciting time to be 
a member of a union. Let me tell you what. Of course, Insiders was on this morning. Now, controversially, Insiders has cancelled their own Twitter account and has been rolled into the ABC News Twitter account. You can catch them there. It's very strange in my view. Some of the tweets from Insiders get larger views than the actual show itself, but there you go. That's life under Ida's ABC. Of course, they did talk about the RBA. We have talked about the RBA on this show and the week on Wednesday consistently. The governor of the RBA, Philip Lowe, did front two committees this week to talk about his decisions to raise rates. The House Economics Committee, which for the first time in its history, thanks to a Labor government, has three trained economists on the committee. And of course, the Senate Committee, which had people like Jared Rennick and Malcolm Roberts on it. Unsurprisingly, the Senate Committee was not overly successful in any kind of cohesive narrative. The RBA continues to pull the same ideological lever it has always pulled. The question was asked on insiders, what else could be done? Of course, we know what else can be done. We can increase taxes on profitable companies and the super wealthy. We can increase supply as the Albanese Labor government is trying to do uh, through the National Reconstruction Fund through the Housing Australia Fund, through making childcare and early childhood education cheaper. In fact, they had an uh, early childhood education summit this week in Parliament as well, building the skills and capacity of Australians to produce more. That's the Jobs and Skills Australia uh, organisation, which Brendan O'Connor as Minister has responsibility for. Government is doing its bit on its side of the ledger. What Philip Lowe continues to do is talk down the idea that workers deserve wage increases, even though, even though we know the vast majority of the inflation problem is a supply problem and a profiteering problem. And Phil Lowe even says as much when he gets questioned on it. Yet still, the narrative persists that somehow or another, workers getting wages that mean they don't go backwards, that they don't go backwards would be inflationary. The reality is what's driving inflation in this country is profiteering, greed, and supply chain constraints, all of which can be addressed, none of which will be fixed by raising interest rates. We saw unemployment go up this week, and of course, that is one of the things that happens when interest rates go up. Those companies who are not being super profitable do struggle to make their debt repayments. And so what do they do? They reduce staffing overhead. This is going to be how things play out over the course of 2023. Phil Lowe is going to continue to increase interest rates. Unemployment will go up possibly as high as 45 to 5%. That's thousands thousands of workers in Australia losing their jobs for no reason other than an outdated, outdated, outmoded belief in neoliberal ideology. Now, government can do things about this. What can it do? Well, Adam Bant made the point. That, well, Adam Bant actually avoided making the point. Nick McKim, I believe, made the point that government could just override the Reserve Bank. Not really 
a good move. It sort of opens up a whole Pandora's box of confidence. When I say confidence, I mean if the government is going to arbitrarily decide which decisions of the Reserve Bank to accept and which ones not to accept, then that is a very unstable situation. But it can reform the way the Reserve Bank works, and certainly there's a review into the Reserve Bank. Jim Chalmers, the Treasurer, is leading that process, along with Katie Gallagher, the Minister for Finance. It's an important process, and of course, it needs to consider how the Reserve Bank makes decisions, who's on the board of the Reserve Bank. As I discussed before, a more tripartite approach might be appropriate. Interestingly, that the peak business bodies who condemn the idea of tripartitism for the National Reconstruction Fund seem very happy that there are people from peak business bodies on the board of the RBA. No conflicts there. I was going to say ladies and gentlemen, but it's frankly mostly gentlemen. The reality is that while government can do its bit, and it will do its bit uh, until the Reserve Bank decides that keeping people employed and lifting living standards is more important than bank profits, that's going to continue to be a problem. Talking about Adam Bant, Adam Bant didn't disavow Nick McKim's uh, suggestion, but he sort of jumped around it quite a bit. He was very focused on another piece of legislation uh, that's due to come into Parliament, which is around the safeguard mechanisms to reduce carbon emissions. Some 200 million tonnes of carbon emissions will be taken out of the system with this updated version of the uh, emissions reduction plan. Adam Bant doesn't like this very much. He thinks this uh, isn't an ideal piece of legislation. And frankly, it's probably not an ideal piece of legislation, but it is an improvement on what we have. And in true grain style, what he wants instead is a total ban on all new coal and gas. Now, that sounds like a really great idea. And on the surface of it, you might be attracted to it. But let's be really clear. A tweet emerged this week from a well-known environmental activist criticising the extension of a coal mine uh, on the basis that it was uh, in opposition to this idea that we should have no more new coal or gas uh, facilities. Of course, that particular extension of a coal mine was for coal that is used for producing steel. And this is where we have to be very, very careful because while the use of thermal coal, that is coal that is used to be burned to create electricity, is declining and will continue to decline, the use of coal in the production of steel remains a fundamental part not just of our economy, but of global infrastructure. Now, technology is improving, and we've discussed on the show before alternatives that are coming online. Those alternatives will take time to develop, and in the meantime, we do still need steel. Likewise with gas. Unquestionably, a decade of underinvestment in Australia by the Liberal National Coalition the government that Peter Dutton was such a key part of, has put us further behind than where we need to be. Now, we can catch up and we will do that. The Clean Energy Finance Corporation is investing and has a mandate to lift 
the capacity of Australia's clean energy generation, transmission, and storage. Those investments are happening as we speak, but it will not be an immediate fix. Even with the announcement today from the New South Wales Labor opposition that they too will invest in an energy security corporation, a billion dollars to facilitate investments in New South Wales, including more rooftop solar. So look out for that. If you're going to be in New South Wales, you should, of course, be voting for Labor because of a whole range of reasons, and I'll get into some more of them later. But this energy security corporation is one of them. Look, Adam Bant's idea sounds attractive, but there's a reason why when David Spears pushed him on it, he couldn't name another country that's done it. Even countries like, say, Germany, where they have phased out thermal coal production, has not instituted a ban on all new future coal mines because the reality is we still need to use some of these resources primarily for the production of steel, but also for other reasons. And gas, particularly in Australia, is something we have in abundance. Can we use it better? Yes. Can we decouple ourselves from the global market, which means we end up paying vastly higher amounts for it, and thus there is a perverse incentive for corporations to dig more of it out of the ground to sell on the open global market. Yes, we can do all of those things. There's many levers government can pull and are in the process of pulling. And in fact, pulled some of those levers at the end of last year over the objections of the Greens and Dutton and his coalition because they didn't believe, well, in the Greens' case, they didn't believe that it would do enough to stop the dependency on fossil fuels. And in uh, Dutton's case, he just didn't like the idea the government would reduce energy prices for households around the country. You know, this is a difficult debate. We often end up in a situation where people believe that there is an ethical, uh, intrinsic value to these elements. These are elements. They have no intrinsic ethics of their own. It is the ethics of the people who use them or don't use them that are relevant. And we have to consider that when we make policy decisions. Adam Bant was unable to say how much it would cost to ban all future coal and gas in this country. Now, I'm not saying the safeguard mechanism is perfect. In fact, I've said it's not. And there are improvements that can be made. And I hope that what will happen over the next couple of weeks is that Adam Bant and the Greens will work constructively to improve the bill not to hold a political line, which frankly reeks a little bit of wanting to get the limelight back following the defection of one of his most high-profile senators, Lydia Thorpe. That would be a shame to politicise real action on climate for the benefit of the Greens. We've had that happen in the past, and it didn't really benefit the Greens, and it certainly didn't benefit climate action in this country. We had a decade of stagnation under the Liberal National Government. Labor has put forward a solid proposal. It can be improved. It's a start. It's the next step. 
you know, when we talk about democracies, we have to talk about the next step and the step after that, not just the final destination. Is the final destination a future where we don't need coal and gas? Well, hopefully that is the final destination because we will have made the technological and scientific improvements required to be able to live decent lives without needing those elements. Until we get to that point, we have to work on bringing down emissions in other ways. And this is the next step. I want to talk about some other things that were discussed on Insiders because the next step in reconciliation in this country is obviously the voice. It's about recognition and consultation. Sam Maiden made a very strange uh, statement on Insiders about, and really was a repetition of some of the Tory talking points about whether or not the voice will address the material realities of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders in this country. And of course, we've seen that debate flare up from those who want to vote no. Now, this sitting fortnight was also a fortnight that marked the 15th anniversary of the apology to the Stolen Generation and Peter Dutton apologising for not turning up to the apology for the Stolen Generation. Of course, he promptly then didn't turn up to the event where members of the Stolen Generation were invited to Parliament House to engage with and really to recognise that momentous moment in Australian history. So Peter Dutton's apologised for not turning up to the apology and then put in an apology for celebrating the apology. Typical Peter Dutton. Very concerned that Sam Maiden repeated those Tory talking points. We know that with greater recognition and consultation and engagement, communities get better outcomes. Let's think about this. The NDIS, the establishment of the NDIS has resulted in better outcomes for Australians with disabilities. There's no question about that. Uh, the Disability Royal Commission had hearings again this week, and there are obviously issues in the implementation of the NDIS. We've talked about that before, the rise of digital sham contracting, the rise of con artists. There are regulatory issues, but again, a decade of mismanagement has to be addressed, and that will take time. And until we get rid of the shonky cowboy operators and the sham contracting that is ripping off not just people with disability, but the taxpayer as well, that system will not be perfect. But those steps are in place. Sam Maiden needs to understand that the voice is giving, well, is accepting the hand offered up by the Uluru process to take the next step on the journey to reconciliation. And of course, we saw Anthony Albanese and vast uh, numbers of politicians in WA launching their various campaigns for the Yes uh, campaign. We know that on Thursday in Adelaide, uh, we will have uh, the big statement from the heart Yes, campaign launch. Uh, get along to that if you can. Check that out. 
Van and I will be there. We are there for Adelaide Fringe as well. I'll talk about that shortly. And of course, on Wednesday night, it's after our show in Adelaide on Wednesday night at 7.30 p.m. Adelaide time. Check your local times. And in fact, go to Australian Unions uh, on their webpage or their social medias, and you can check out how you can get involved with the Yes campaign through your union and what the union movement is doing to support uh, the voice. It is a big, big deal. It has to be supported. We have to take this step. Uh, and of course, we will see in Adelaide on Thursday uh, a very big launch of the campaign. Of course, Van and I will be in Adelaide on the 22nd, the 1st, the 8th, and the 15th. Four weeks of week on Wednesday live. You can get tickets now. There are links. Go If you go to Adelaide Fringe, look for uh, Adelaide Fringe Van Batem. If you Google that or Adelaide Fringe week on Wednesday, you will find yourself uh, a way to get tickets. If you are a supporter of the show, that is you are chipping in a buck a week, you're an Extend the Reach supporter or cadre, and you go to buymeacoffee.com slash week on Wednesday to become one of those. You can also get access to a discount code that will give you discount tickets to our Week on Wednesday live shows. There's a lot going on in Adelaide next week. Speaking of a lot going on, this will be a slightly longer episode because we've got to do that, had to do that wrap of what's been going on in Parliament. It would be negligent of me not to talk about what's going on in New South Wales. I've already spoken briefly about New South Wales Labor announcing its energy security corporation, a bit like the Clean Energy Finance Corporation, not quite the same as the Victorian State Electricity uh, Commission, slightly different model. New South Wales Labor will be looking to fund projects, provide financing for projects, increase the uptake of rooftop solar and so on. Interesting side note, Queensland is the highest uh, per capita jurisdiction in the world of rooftop solar. Good on the people of Queensland for doing that. Uh, New South Wales politics is just an absolute binfire. And I think one of the things that really strikes me about this is that, look, on Insiders, they talked about Linda Reynolds and the situation where Linda Reynolds is basically saying, look, I'm the victim in the Oz, right? And the uh, behavior of sort of the New South Wales body politic and the Canberra body politic around the Linda Reynolds, Brittany Higgins uh, situation has been just outrageous. It now looks as though uh, the Oz has published extracts from Brittany Higgins' diary, which were provided to the police. Uh, Now, some of this is obviously in the ACT, but there is an overlap. It's hard to pretend otherwise. Linda Reynolds is not the victim. Linda Reynolds was a minister of the Crown. She's still a senator, uh, and she's obviously being backed in by members of the Murdoch media. Brittany Higgins was a young, vulnerable staffer Uh, and quite frankly was treated as a political problem rather than a human being who had had a traumatic experience. But realistically, this is the culture of the Liberal Party in Canberra and in New South Wales. We see Damien Damien Tudhope, uh, of course, very recently linked to the Opus Dei schools in New South Wales, had to resign as a minister because he did not disclose that he held shares 
in a toll road company that he was involved in awarding a multi-billion dollar contract. New South Wales, of course, the highest tolling state in the country, one of the most tolled people in the world, the people of New South Wales under the Perite government. Then, of course, you've got Peter Poulos, who was disendorsed after sharing explicit pictures of a pre-selection rival. It did take about a week before Dominic Perrottet decided that that was appropriate. And of course, huge amount of public outcry. Then of course, there's the story of Gareth Ward. Gareth Ward, who is facing charges, significant criminal charges related to sexual offences. He has been suspended from even attending parliament. He's not allowed in. Uh, former Liberal Party member, still maintains uh, that he's part of the Liberal government in local community forums. The election is not far away. The Liberals have not nominated a candidate in the seat where Gareth Ward is currently the MP and is now running as an independent, facing significant criminal charges and is still running for parliament. Claims He claims to have majority support. I mean, this is a toxic, toxic political culture that is being propagated by the Liberal Party. Dominic Perrottet has had his scandals of his own. Of course, his comments around abortion and Donald Trump uh, during his time as treasurer of the state. I mean, these are people who seem to think that unless they're the premier, they don't have to face any scrutiny. Scratch under the surface and there's quite a lot of well, it may not be corruption, but it's certainly corrupting political practice in the state of New South Wales, which is probably why Unions New South Wales, and you can join your union in New South Wales at australianunions.org.au slash wow, has launched its Essential Workers Deserve Better campaign. New South Wales has the worst teacher ratios in the country. These are decisions that governments make. Will we support public schools? or will we support toll road operators? It has a wage cap in place that it not only wants to keep in place, but has tried to demonise the Labor Party position of removing the wage cap by lying about what it would cost to do so, lying about the fact that there will be economic improvements as a result. We know that when you give working people more money, that money goes back into local communities. But of course, the Liberals don't want that to happen. They want to cap the wages of working people, people who work cleaning hospitals, cleaning schools, who work in home aged care, people who are working with some of our most vulnerable, people who are teachers, people who work in hospital settings And of course, who work to improve and maintain the environment of New South Wales. There are so many, so many public servants who are intrinsic part of our community, firefighters, police officers, the list goes on and on, all of whom have suffered real wage cuts under the Perrottet government. So... The upcoming state election in New South Wales will be fought on those terms, a government that is riddled with at least poorly behaved, if not corrupt, if not criminal MPs, and 
an opposition under Labor that wants to reduce tolls, increase wages, improve the amount of renewable energy in the system, uh, improve job security, this seems like a pretty straight up and down uh, election battle to me. So that's the weekend wrap for the week on Wednesday, this Sunday, 19th of February in the year 2023. So much has happened over the last week. And of course, the week to come is a huge week for us. Van and I will be in the yurt at the Immigration Museum for the Adelaide Fringe Festival. A huge shout out to everyone in Adelaide who's already attending Fringe. We know Fringe has already started. We know some of you are already going to Fringe events. It's a huge time in South Australia. We look forward to being part of it. I'm just, you know, imagining all of the interesting and fun things there'll be for us to do while we're there. Look, if you are coming along to the week on Wednesday live on either the 22nd of February, 1st, 8th or 15th of March, and you do have a copy of Van's book, Q and On and On, A Short and Shocking History of Internet Conspiracy Cults, bring your book. Van will be available to sign it. We will get you out of there in plenty of time to join the Australian Union's Yes campaign launch, which is all online. You can do that anywhere. Uh, Some of us might even gather around a laptop somewhere and do it together while we are in Adelaide. And of course, on the Thursday, the uh, Uluru Statement from the Heart will launch the Yes campaign formally in Adelaide. Van and I will be there. We will live tweet it because we know lots of people will have an interest. It's going to be a huge week uh, this week. Looking forward to it. And until we have your company, whether you're in the yurt with us or online, remember to be kind to yourself, be kind to each other, and vote yes to The Voice.